Welcome to another rocking and rolling episode of Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Daly, and joining me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, Neil Daly. What's up, man? <laughs> What's up, dude? Every time you call me semi-permanent, I feel like I'm like a glossy paint or something. <laughs> That's like, I'm like, I hope I last. <laughs> It, it's all it depends on the fans. It depends on the listeners. What, what is, <laughs> oh, burn! Okay. How how much are you willing to please David Ace Gutierrez? He is really the the executive producer in charge of that. Is fastball or Highlander on this list? <laughs> well, I guess it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. What's up, dude? How you been, man? Good, good. Um, so yeah, uh, listeners, if you are listening to this episode the day that it comes out, Father's Day is this weekend, and we wanted to do a special episode to mark that occasion because aside from MTV, I think our dad was probably the biggest influencer when it came to the music that we liked, what we listened to, what we were exposed to. So because of that, we thought, hey, let's do a special Father's Day episode. We'll get Dad on the show and interview him. It'll be a whole multi-generational family thing. So please welcome... Oh, shit. Okay, I'm going to have to edit this out because I still have in my notes... Okay, so you, you, well, yeah, we don't have we don't have our dad on the show. Um, we were gonna have wait, him. <laughs> wait, you don't? Is he? Does he know we're doing this? Did, did you? Did, did you ask him? I didn't ask him. I thought you were gonna ask him. I don't think I know his number. Shit. Well, I see. Oh God, no. You know what? I talked to a couple other dads about doing this podcast. I didn't talk to ours. Mm-hmm. Can we do it? Or, or, well, we could do it like old school 80s radio style and do fake voices every time. Hey, Pat, what do you think about that? Well, that sounds really good. I love that song. And then we'll just, <laughs> You know what? Honestly, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter because he doesn't know how to listen to a podcast. So he would never hear this. Yeah. And we're going to edit all of this out anyway. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we'll, we'll just we'll just wing it. Um yeah. Okay, so folks, uh, what we thought we would do is uh, sort of peek into our dad's record collection and talk about the music that we love, uh, the particular bands and artists that we got into and followed because of our dad, what he exposed us to, either directly or indirectly. Uh, so, God, I have it in my notes to ask my dad. Okay, uh, so Neil... <laughs> Neil, um, what do you think about Dad's music collection? Like, how would you describe his taste uh, to to somebody? Boy, okay, he's got okay. Boy, that's a that's kind of a loaded question. I would I would I want to say eclectic, but it's not as eclectic as somebody that's just like a random sampling of all genres and stuff. He's stuck to a lot of certain you know genres and influences and then branched out within that like for example you know the you know our parents were like hippie generation you know post vietnam war early 70s stuff so there was a lot of 
a lot of the same storytelling tree. You know, there's a lot of Tom Petty. I remember Bruce Springsteen, uh, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, like all these in the same type of genre. You know, they 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 liked a lot of their folk music. They liked a lot of that, like what I would call the Laurel Canyon sound of the 60s and 70s with Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. You know, there was a lot of that. But, you know, as we see, as we'll go into this, you know, my dad certainly was kind of, I, I dare to say, cutting edge with certain bands. He kind of got into like some new age and some, I mean, he, you know, we'll get into some of the other bands that he had, but he had the Talking Heads. He had, yeah. you know, like a, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. He had, you know, some of these things that were kind of not of his musical tree. So he was certainly well-versed in it. You know, and the one thing that I got from him about that was music. He was like a savant, I guess maybe would be the word. Like dad knew everything about everybody. And that's if I ever, and not that I ever had to do a musical report of a band for school or something, but he's the guy that if any one of our friends ever was like, oh yeah, I heard this new song on the radio today. I just discovered this new band. Dad had an album of theirs and could tell you the names of the band members and what bands they were in before they joined that band. Mm -hmm. You know, he was that guy. And that's what I remember every time I ever heard a song from a new band or like maybe the first time I maybe like got into like Bruce Springsteen or something and it was new to me being a child you know uh, being like hey I like this song Born in the USA or something dad would be like come on let's go in there let's sit in front of the record collection and pull out like eight albums by bruce springsteen and like lay them out like like he's dealing cards you know <laughs> that's what i remember and then and then on top of that the last thing i'll say about this before i ramble on too much is you know every kind of, i don't know if you felt the same way i did i would you know being the firstborn son you know your job is to rebel against your parents. You know, our parents did it to their parents. So it's like, you don't want to be influenced by them. You always like whatever your parents listen to. Oh, that's lame. You know, you got to listen to your, you got to find your own way. And that's, I think what all teenagers do. They hate their parents' tastes and stuff. But what I didn't realize is music was so prominent in our household through pure osmosis. I absorbed a ton of my dad's influences throughout my life that have shaped not only the musical taste that I have, but also my writing mm -hmm. and things like that. Like, it's just fascinating to me that bands that I never thought I would like growing up, now I know so much about. And it's because they were always on. Yeah. It was always on. We had a household. I don't know how many you know young listeners will can relate to this because TV is so prominent now. But um, we had a household where music was the dominant source for a long time. The TV was never on in the background as much until like maybe Ryan, you're like teenage years or something. Mm -hmm. But you know, it was always we just had the stereo on. That's a, that's you know what I remember during dinner time or you know we would watch our core shows for primetime TV, and then after that it was like back to the stereo. I just remember music being on, and I absorbed a lot of it. I mean, if I was like defining it, it, it sort of seemed like all the music from the '70s and the latter half of the '60s. It just felt like we were exposed to it at such a young age. It was just always there. It was always on. Yeah. To the point where like later in life like i would be surprised if i heard a, a band or an artist from like the woodstock generation or something like that that i wasn't familiar with i was like how did how yeah. how, how is that not in dad's collection or something and yeah we had like hundreds of of you know um vinyl records and everything that were just like just in these huge stacks but Dad was also progressive in being an early adopter of new technology when it came oh, to like God, AV yeah. stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Like 
it, like you know in a lot of ways but like you know like he had you know the the record player you know needle and everything like that but he also had the the dual tape deck that could convert you know it was all wired so that he could play the records and record them onto an audio cassette tape when those were new um when we got like the, the dual deck VHS players so that he could record stuff <laughs> off right. of TV right. and or we could rent a movie throw it in there record it onto a blank TV that was our our, our video library was like yeah. those 60 brown boxes they had like those 6 hour VHS tapes each one had like 3 movies in it and everything like that was what we watched yeah I'll even I, I'll even add to that too and I don't know how much you remember this but oh well, first of all I was I was like the lucky beneficiary of of dad's progressive technology thinking because I know that he always got those magazines like stereophonic or consumer reports and all this stuff like he was always researching this stuff and I kind of I kind of have a hunch, although it's never been discussed. I think whenever he wanted to go out and buy something new, I think he would kind of tell mom that it was like, well, Neil wants this you know, <laughs> or something. I think that was kind of like the thing. But the coolest thing he did was I and, and I was and I loved being the recipient of this stuff because then I was by default first in line to do cool things in junior high school. I was in junior high and I wanted to make a mixtape for a dance. And I was like in charge of the music and dad had our setup wired where the phonograph could record to the cassette, but it was on a double deck cassette rack and the other cassette could then play at the same time and one tape would record both. So I was the first person that figured out how to fade in one song and fade in the other with no break. Mm. That was bread. That was like DJ quality stuff. I was like, as long as I had the songs that I wanted on one cassette tape and the other songs I wanted on a, on a record player. And he taught me how to toggle the record player speed so that I could try to sync up the RPM. So maybe if I was playing like a 33 RPM, maybe I'd played at 34 or something like that. He taught me this stuff, which was like at the time, I mean, I just felt like I was a DJ. I was like in <laughs> sixth grade and I was like DJing because all of a sudden I had songs that as soon as one started to fade out, the next one would come on without a break. And people were like, how the hell do you do that? And honestly, I didn't know. I was just like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's the way we roll. Dad, do you remember doing that? Do you remember teaching me that? Neil, he's he's not he's not here. He's not on Oh the- right, right, right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you also mentioned like the magazines, like for for one thing, like getting back to what you were saying about his his knowledge base. I mean, we also had Rolling Stone was always in the house. Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, yeah. He would collect those and he would hold on to the issues for an entire year. We just had that basket that would have an entire <laughs> year's worth of issues. And I think he would like he would read them or he would reread them, basically to the point where they were memorized. He had all of that information. So he knew the names of all all of these artists and the producers and their collaborators and who was getting kicked out of the bands and who was overdosing and everything like that. And and then he would get rid of them. Yeah, he, he was a sponge. He was definitely a sponge for that type of stuff. Yeah, but it wasn't like a hoarding thing where, you know, he would have no. like, like 20 years worth of these magazines in the basement or something like that. He held them for like a year and then they all went into recycling at the same time. <laughs> yeah, he did. We would always recycle them once a year. <laughs> but yeah, getting back like those, I, I just had the, like the clearest memory of just like these this wall of like shelves of these mixtapes these white mixtapes with just his handwriting in blue or black pen just says you know bob dylan one bob dylan two bob dylan three and the thing was like they were it wasn't just straight recordings of blood on the tracks transcribed onto a, a tape or something like that he mixed them up you know if he was listening to an album and he didn't like a song he didn't put it on the tape like, that yeah, song was you know, honestly dare I say I think he was like the innovator of playlists mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. 
honestly, that's kind of what it was. And I got the same, I got the same like desire to do it that he did. You know, I didn't do that stuff beforehand. If I recorded a tape, if I made a cassette tape of an album, I just recorded the album. But he was the first to kind of make mixtapes and stuff of like your greatest hits. He would take, you know, if there were, you know, if he took a song like Rolling Stones for something like that, like he would get, he would have like cassette tapes of Rolling Stones. And then years, I remember it would be like 64 to 68 and then Rolling Stones, 69 to 72 and then blah, blah, blah. But they weren't straight in order of the album release. They were the songs he liked. So it was it was very much like the innovator, the the invention of the of the playlist that we know today. He kind of started. Yeah, probably the the last thing that I want to touch upon before kind of getting into our, our the list of the the albums and, and the the bands that we're going to talk about. Dad was also our exposure to a lot of concerts. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The the first concert that I ever went to it was uh, the Smashing Pumpkins at the Duke Ellington Ballroom the week that <laughs> Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out. Dad Dad took a and we didn't have tickets in advance like the tickets were sold out and Dad was like well you really want to see him well let's go maybe we can get scalpers tickets I'm like we can he, uh, I was like that's illegal right and he's just like shut up and get in the car. <laughs> Um, and and we did. We were just kind of like hanging out there, wait, looking for somebody to buy tickets. And I think the tickets at the time were like twelve dollars. And I think we he only paid fifteen for each. Uh, <laughs> does that sound right, Dad? Oh, Ryan, you said oh, you know yeah. he's not. He's not right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I I think yeah. Uh, okay, I'll edit that. Um, yeah, like the ticket. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah, Ryan, that sounds about right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, we saw the Smashing Pumpkins the week that Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out. Um, and I, I saw that Billy had shaved his head and I called you that. Oh my god, I swear. This 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 story, by the way, will probably make it to another podcast in the future, so stay with us. We're not going to we're not going to spin off too far on this one, but I do remember that conversation where you said Billy Corgan just shaved his head. He's bald. He came out looking like powder. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, the Sean Patrick Flannery movie?" And you were like, "Who? Powder?" <laughs> I was like, okay, "Okay, yeah." And then, and then two like two nights later, that was their tune-up for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, because yeah. then they played SNL that same week because the video for Bullet with Butterfly Wings came out first. He had hair then. They played your concert, then they played SNL, and he had his head shaped. So I was like, dude, you're so right. Okay, enough about this. Sorry. But yeah, but in terms of concert going, I was dragged along to more concerts with them than I remember. I've only heard stories from my mom, you know, telling stories about like, oh, yeah, you saw so-and-so with dad, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm like, I did? Really? And all this stuff. And most of them were from the fact that they couldn't find a babysitter. But <laughs> one of my favorite stories that I have no recollection of, I'm only sharing the story secondhand, but it was mom telling me about one of her most infuriating moments in their early, our parents, for, for the record, our parents were teenagers when I was born. One of their, one of, mom tells me the story about getting a call from dad from a payphone somewhere because there were no cells, no, you know, I don't know how this would have transpired, but he called her at one point and said, hey, don't worry, I got Neil, we're safe. And mom's like, and it had to be like two in the morning. And mom's like, what the hell are you talking about? Now, for those, let me interject really quick. Our mom worked shifts at the hospital. She was an OR nurse, uh, an OR nurse, where she would get beeped in the middle of the night to go into work a lot. So she would like sometimes work like sixteen straight hours and then come home and sleep for a little bit and get beeped and go back in the middle of the night. So there was a lot of coming and going. I don't know how many people. I don't know like if they kept tabs on each other as much. I think they were just desperately trying to find time to sleep. So dad calls mom and says something like, "Yeah, don't worry, I got Neil. 
were okay. And mom probably was woken up from the middle of sleep, or maybe she was, dad thought she was working or something, and she wasn't. She was home and was like, Where are you guys? And dad and his buddy Carrie from high school yeah, okay. and I were in Iowa. <laughs> we were in another state, and we were at a Neil Young concert. <laughs> and I was like, You're what? And he was like, Don't worry, though, it was a good show. <laughs> And that's the story I get. So I'm like, oh my God. So I'm, I'm like telling, you know, when I heard the story from mom, I'm like, that's my first concert experience. She goes, that was one of many. There were a bunch of times they dragged me to like the Neil Young concert film, Russ Never Sleeps, was a movie. And the only reason they talked me into going as a kid was because the stage crew looked like Jawas. <laughs> so if anybody has ever seen that, he literally had his roadies in the stage crew dressed like Jawas with glowing eyes and hoods setting up the stage. And that was how they somehow coerced me as like a three-year-old to think it's a Star Wars movie or something. So, but yeah, so that was, that was, that was dad. He exposed us to live, live concerts, whether mom liked it or whether I liked it or not. He was going and if nobody was watching me, then he's like, come on, Neil. <laughs> come on, boy. <laughs> yeah, come on, boy. If anybody asks, you're four years old and you've got a disability. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's move on. So, what we're going to do from here um, is just kind of talk about the the actual bands and artists, some of them, because, right? I mean, God, it could be countless, but a lot of the bands and artists that we still follow today or that have had kind of an impact on us musically, sonically, um, that we might not have ever known or really given much thought if not for our dads. So I think the first one that we have to talk about is your namesake, Neil Young. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's let's start right there. That's a perfect place to start. Um, I get this quite a lot. Uh, I was not named after Neil Diamond, which surprisingly seems to come up quite often. And the second comment I get all the time is like, "Oh, were you know, were you named after somebody else in your family?" Because I, my middle name was our grandfather's name. Your middle name is your father's name. There was a whole lot of this going on, and a lot of that sharing. And the same with the other dailies and stuff like that. So being named Neil Daly was kind of an outlier. And it was because our dad's favorite musical artist was Neil Young. And that's why I was named after him. I caught you knocking at my cellar door. I love you, baby, can I have some more? Ooh, the damage done. I hit the city and I lost my band. I watched the needle take another man Gone, gone, the damage done I, I mean, I don't even know where to start because we could literally do an entire podcast on Neil Young or certain albums of his. One of the most prolific musicians in history. I mean, 40 credited studio albums, not counting live albums and releasing a ton of music. He's got an album coming out this year that was recorded in 75. It's like, it's just unbelievable. 
But what my personal connection to Neil Young would probably be is probably different than yours. Um, I'm guessing it is. Mine was more along the lines of Neil Young was one of those. It was probably the most played artist in our childhood, in our in our household when I was growing up. And this is, you know, you talked about the the stacks of cassette tapes, the racks and racks of cassette tapes. I had racks and racks of albums. You know, I think Dad didn't. He wasn't recording albums to cassette yet. And by the way, all of the time he did that was he was very much into preservation of the material too like he was very big on that because in our later years not even very long ago um he started re-recording them all on cds again and making just cds of all this stuff so it was all to preserve the music that he had but anyway um i just remember neil young being played all the time and on top of that every time i remember neil young being played in the house dad was playing the guitar to it in the house all the time and our dad for you know to his credit he's a pretty good rhythm guitar player dad has he adopted a style that's very similar to neil young obviously he was heavily influenced by him so he adopted that style it was a very folksy kind of style lots of chords lots of strumming or kind of banging on the strings not a lot of finger picking no soloing stuff like that but he's pretty good at it and i you know i think he even i i want to say there's another story about how he first picked up the guitar i think mom played it first that's something we might want to research, but I think mom got the guitar once and just didn't play it. And so dad did and his brother, his, his buddy, Larry, Larry Woods played the guitar. And anyway, the reason I bring that up is because in, in my, my childhood, I remember just being like, Oh my God, this is so annoying. It's overplayed. Like, Oh my God. All I hear is dad playing the guitar over the, the Neil Young songs. And it made me like resent Neil Young. And I was like resentful of my name. And I started like, there was a period of time in elementary school where I started telling people my name was, my real name was Cornelius Calvin Daly. And it was like, they were like, what? I was like, Neil comes from Cornelius, but I go by Calvin at home. And they were like, why? And it was from Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon or something. That's where I got, this was like, it was very short lived. Like, I'm like, I can't believe that didn't last. Yeah, exactly. Who would have thought? But it was just like, there was a thing where I was just like, I was, I just didn't like Neil Young. I didn't like him. I, and through no fault of Neil Young's, it was because it was so played in our house. And there was weird stuff too. Like there were times that I would come back, I would come home from school and all of a sudden he'd be playing what at the, like from the trans era of Neil oh, yeah. Young in the early eighties when everything was synthesized, there were no guitar parts on it. And I was like, who is this Devo or something? He'd be like, no, it's Neil Young. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God. And then the next day I'd come home and, you know, he's playing something that sounded like what later we would sound, we would say is Pearl Jam. But at the time, this is in the 80s, I'd be like, oh, who is it? Who's this hard rock band? He'd be like, Neil Young. And it was like every day coming home and it was something. <laughs> and he's playing all this stuff. So long story short, I really resisted liking Neil Young for a long, long time. And I think, honestly, it turned for me when... Neil Young did MTV Unplugged. And at this point, we, we, you and I had talked about this in a prior podcast, yeah. I think probably, yeah, but with a record rev. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But once a lot of the artists that I liked started to say, hey, Neil Young's an influence of ours. We're fans of his, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, you know, Nirvana liked him. Pearl Jam liked him. All these other Smashing Pumpkins liked him. Once they kind of said it was cool to like Neil Young, I was like, huh. And they all said he was the godfather of grunge. That was his title. So then I kind of gave it a second thought. I'm like, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm missing something. And I went back and listened to some stuff. And then the Neil Young Unplugged hit on MTV. And I remember 
without any prior knowledge or thought given to it, I knew every single song <laughs> that he played. I knew every line lyrically, and I could pick up the guitar and strum along without ever having listened to it. And that was when I realized what a heavy influence it was. Because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, pure osmosis. I just absorbed it without even knowing it. And then suddenly I kind of – and by the way, Dad, I'll tell you this right now too. If Oh, yeah. Wait, never mind. Um, well, if he's listening, if he's listening, I will say this. I kind of owe him an apology because I've never actually come back and credited Neil Young as an influence and said, hey, thank you for exposing me to that. I've never – actually, I've never said thank you for anything when it comes to dad. So, well, uh, well, oh, well. I don't think this is the right venue for that. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not the time. But the point is, Neil Young, that has to lead off this list because – I was so heavily exposed to it. I was named after it. I resisted it for a long time. And when I finally came around to liking it because other people I liked liked it, I was like, damn, this guy's good. And God, does he write a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it at that. How about you? <laughs> uh, for Neil, it, I mean, it was the same thing. It was just, it was the, the music that was always there. Right. I, I don't think I rejected it the same way in as much as it was just the, the generational gap. But, you know, it, as, I'm, as I'm finding my own musical sensibilities in the 90s and just Neil Young just seemed it was it was old it was you know dad's music I want to find my music I want to find what's good <laughs> yes, um, and, right. and as we as we talked about you know like Pearl Jam was one of those first bands that I really glommed onto after you gave me those tapes and and loving them and then like a year two years into that I find out that they're playing together Neil Young records an entire album with Pearl Jam as his as his studio band yep. and everything yep. like that um they're doing performances together and like all this love going on to them. So then I was like, well, okay. It was basically the same as you. I was like, okay, if, if Pearl Jam, <laughs> like if, if they're okay, with, <laughs> if they, uh, what's the, what's the word? Um, if they'll vouch for Neil Young, then I guess, I yeah. Can, yeah. And then it was, it was kind of the thing, just like talking to dad about it. And for some reason, like we would just, uh, I think, I think dad, there were one of the, one of Young's recent albums around that time, I think was called sleeps with angels. And there was a song on there that I really, really like called Change Your Mind. It's like a 14-minute song. And I was <laughs> like, like this Cortez thing... Cortez the Killer. Yeah, like yes. Well, I was like, this song, I was like, this is going on for a long time. I was like, does this thing ever change or end? And Dad kind of like joked. He's like, no, Neil Young's got like 10 songs like that that are over eight minutes long. I just go on and on. And I'm like, really? And because of that, like, I he, he would play these for me. I ended up making my own mix CD of just Neil Young's long-ass songs that were like eight, nine or, you know, over 10 minutes long. Oh, that's long. funny. It was like seven songs. That's as much as I could fit on the CD. That's like a Dave Matthews live album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, uh, that was, yeah, that was, I was nearly, oh, and then um, I think my my third concert, actually, uh, when, I, when I was in high school, we got tickets to see Neil Young at what was then called the, the World uh, Amphitheater um, before it changed oh, yeah, like the, right, the right. Tweeter Center or something. Um, and it was a there was a double headliner. It was the Gin Blossoms and Dave Matthews Band opening for Neil Young. And I was telling I was telling my friends I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna see Neil Young, and these guys are opening for him. And my buddy's like, you're gonna go see Dave Matthews Band? And I'm like, well, I mean, we'll be at the same place, but that's not who I'm going to see because at the time, like, I didn't care for Dave Matthews at that time. It would be another couple of years before I got in. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Plus, you know, then 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 going back, you know, there were certain songs too, and it just because we're doing a podcast about the artists, you know, there were certain certain songs specifically I'd just like to throw in the in the mix just so that our listeners have a point of reference and stuff. I think I think the first time Dad ever explained to me like what Needle and the Damage done mm. was, uh, you know, that had a whole new meaning, and it probably I, honestly again I really don't think we ever talked about Neil Young person between me and him until after the unplugged thing. And, you know, it was like something I never talked about with him as a child because I didn't like it. But, you know, then hearing the story, you know, about like Neil Young talking about the artists, his peers at the time that all died of heroin overdoses and stuff. And there's a lot of them, you know, going through living through that period. Then I think all of a sudden, you know, it made me kind of lyrically kind of want to listen to a little bit more about the stuff that he does. And then as I grew older, the last thing I'm going to say is just I appreciated the fact that even Neil Young's misses. Um, like his hit, he's had a lot of hits, but his misses too. Like I give him credit for branching, like never repeating the same album two albums in a row. He just didn't mm-hmm. do it. He would have a country album followed by a grunge rock album followed by a synthesizer new wave album followed by a, a like a fifties rockabilly you know album and so there were you know I remember the Neil Young and the Blue Notes and stuff like that. You know there were just. There were just a lot, you know, I, I give him credit as an artist. That's kind of what an artist is. You know, not everything you do is going to be a success, but I, I give him props. So, so he named me after a good one. I guess I'll end it with that. Uh, all right. Moving on to a different artist. Um, by a wide, wide margin, Neil Young was the most played artist or band in, in the household when we were growing up. But at least for a good chunk of time, I would say the second place most frequently listened to was Van Morrison. <laughs> um, and I, th- I think this is probably equal parts mom's influence because I always think yeah, that I Van would, Morrison was mom's favorite. I don't know if she had a crush on him or what or if she just liked the, the sound of his voice. I think she I think honestly I think she just like beer drinkers. <laughs> Van Morrison's sound for a large part of it, like when I was just growing up, it was it was too out there, it was too eclectic even for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't getting into kind of like the moodiness, the 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 more jazzy uh, influences and everything like that. I, I could recognize uh, a Van Morrison song because of his voice. He's got that yeah, right. really signature voice. But I knew so many songs. I mean, obviously, like there was there was Moon Dance, there's Brown Eyed Girl, there's a bunch of other hits that you recognize. I didn't give him that much credence again because he was. There, even you, you know, if if it was somebody that mom liked, really, (laughs) but it was when we were watching. I was watching with Dad uh, the last waltz, uh, the band, the the band's uh, final concert tour um, by Scorsese, Uh, and Van Morrison comes out towards the end and performs the song Caravan. And it is hilarious because for one thing, I, I like the song. I really like the song. It's one of my favorite Van Morrison songs, and it's a it's a really good live performance version. But Van Morrison in this, he is wearing a purple suit, this like weirdly <laughs> cut jacket, like suit and everything, with like purple bell bottom pants. He's not wearing a dress shirt or anything. It's like a black tank top or t shirt or something underneath it. He looks drunk or coked out or something. I, I would probably say coke. Actually, both. Let's say both. Air on the side of caution. And 
he like at the end of the the song or whatever he like does these like weird kicks with his legs where he like kicks out in the air to the drum beats and everything and after he's done singing he just walks off the stage he throws his hands up and he's done and the band like you see Robbie Robertson just like looking around at the other guys like Jeff Dano and like okay we'll just keep playing to the end of the song <laughs> um I just you know what's great what's great about being Irish is that you can do anything <laughs> when you're drunk and everybody just says oh yeah it's, it's just Van Morrison yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I just I thought that was such a funny performance that I was like, I gotta give this guy a second look. Um, so I did, and I returned, and uh, I, I actually I listened to the album Moondance start to finish, uh, and that is one of my, I, I would say that is one of the best albums ever. Like, I put that in my list of nearly perfect albums. Um, it might not be one of my favorites necessarily, although I do like it, and I can listen to it anytime. Uh, I think of like his, his major hits, Critics tend to favor Astral Weeks, I think, um, and I think Astral Weeks is of the two. Astral Weeks is a bit more experimental. It's more uh, it, it, like the, you definitely feel more kind of. I, it's not I don't quite know what the, the wedding album. No, yeah, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> I, I think the melodically and vocally Astral Weeks kind of reminds me of like he's almost like painting portraits and painting landscapes with his like uh, he'll just kind of go uh-huh. off on these weird little like almost yodeling kind of rambling things with his, his <laughs> voice and everything it's really beautiful but it doesn't really catch whereas I think Moondance has a ton of great pop songs yeah, uh, it's yeah, just a great like pop album from, from everything from the, the title track uh, to Into the Mystic um, Caravan obviously uh, everyone it, it's just it, yeah I just it's ten songs that I just really really like so I wouldn't I mean, that's, and I never, I never would have gotten into Van Morrison. And I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but that one album in particular, um, I, I really, really love. And it's thanks to just hearing it from mom and dad. My story is going to be really short, but the only, I want to add to this because this is going to be synonymous with a lot of things we'll talk about going forward with the other bands that are influences. One thing, my, my first memory of Van Morrison, and I may have been exposed to it sooner, but my first memory was at home with mom and dad watching an American werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that song, which by the way, God, I mean, my, our parents exposed us to just about whatever we wanted. Like there was, there was no like, Oh, I don't know if you should watch this kind of thing. It was always like, is that going to babysit you? That's fine. I watched basic instinct with mom and dad. (laughs) 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 I I think dad rented it or something. And mom was like, should Ryan be watching it? I'm like too late. I'm pot committed because (laughs) the movie doesn't start off gently. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly so no but uh, yeah so we're watching and 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 i i just remember so american werewolf in london we're watching it and i was just and i didn't find it a scary movie i just found it like fascinating i was just super like into it and this is a common theme that happened a lot in our childhood we'd be watching a movie because mom was way more into the movies than dad ever was i remember we'd all be watching it together and then the moon dance sequence comes on and dad just gets up, goes, gets himself a glass of water, whatever like that, and leaves the room and just did that. He did that all the time. Mom's way into the movie. We're watching out of something. And then from the other room, about five minutes later, blasting the stereo is Van Morrison's moon dance, <laughs> like from the other room. I was like, what the, oh my God, is dad watching in the other room? And there was no such thing as tape delay at the time. So I'm like, what the hell? So I got up and I went and saw what dad was doing and dad's laying on the bed reading a magazine, playing a Van Morrison album, playing Moondance. And 
it was the weirdest thing because dad dad tuned out of movies a lot he was more interested in the music and something in that that scene inspired him he was like oh i like that song so he went and went and listened to it <laughs> but the weirdest thing about dad that i remember and this is happened all the time he didn't go in there and put headphones on and he didn't go in there and shut the door he blasted it so that we heard it. And I, I, part of me wonders to this day if Dad was like, was he trying to ruin the movie for us or something, or was he just like saying, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, eventually he got headphones, and eventually he tried to retire and got a little more private. But that was the weird. He was like in in. I personally, and this is just me living in that bubble where you think the world revolves around you. I kind of took it as like, oh, dad, dad's showing off that he knows I liked that song. So he's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm going to go play it. I'm going to play it loud so you hear it. So it was like his way without ever gesturing. It was like his way of giving the world the middle finger being like, I was there first. <laughs> and, that, is, that is a degree of passive aggressiveness. That just... <laughs> and I have nothing to base that on whatsoever, except that's the way I took it. And he did that a lot. Dad, we'd be watching a movie and dad would see a song or hear a song. And he's like, oh, yeah, I like that. And go in the other room and listen to the album <laughs> and like forget about the movie we were watching. <sighs> and by the way, this really sucked when you're growing up as trying to be an actor. And it's like, hey, dad, watch this scene. And he's watching. He's like, oh, that's awesome. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> like you asshole. So. All, right. All right. Who's next? Who else did we get into? Uh, okay. Well, I want to say probably one of the next big ones on my list. And, and by the way, our list is going to be a probably front loaded a lot for, for most of the people listening right now. It's going to be front loaded by bigger names because they have more of an impact. And that's just the reality of it. You know, we'll get more into some of the obscure uh, selections as we go. But uh, the next one that I want to reference, I, I remember Bruce Springsteen. And I remember when Bruce Springsteen made a dominant impact on my life. It was uh, I. I didn't pay attention to it. I I knew that he. I knew who he was, and my only visual reference of Bruce Springsteen was probably from the the live video for the song Rosalita that circulated on MTV a little bit. But this is Bruce Springsteen with long curly hair, a pimp cab driver hat, a full beard, and a leather jacket with a vest over the leather jacket. And it was like, you could barely see his face. And I just ran in this live video and he was just rocking out and blah, blah, blah. So that was all I re remember seeing him. Then MTV, uh, or then all of a sudden, like, uh, God, well, it had to be 85. It was 1985 because MTV started heavily circulating the live video Born to Run from live 85 to 90 or live 75 to 85. And that got heavy, heavy airplay. And I had heard 
all of Bruce Springsteen stuff before. I know Dad had Born in the USA. I remember him hearing it. I remember the the album covers because when Dad would go into the room. And by the way, at this point, I should point out. At this point, we had moved houses. There was a house that you never lived in where the record collection was all like in the living room underneath the stereo, and it was by the couch. When we moved into the house that you remember, actually, you did live in that first one, but that's irrelevant. Um, by the time we got to uh, our our current parents' house, the stereo collection was moved into my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so the the my dad custom built. I remember he built like a shelving unit that with wood and a saw and stuff like that and painted it and all the stuff, but it was a custom made unit for all the pieces, the components he had. And then he housed all his records underneath it too. So the record collection was moved into my room. So I, I remember like when I would, whenever he wanted to listen to music, he'd go into my bedroom, which by the way, then became, so just so you have a visual frame of reference. Um, but he was always in there. Like there were times where I would be like, Hey, I got to come in. I got to do homework, whatever. I got to sit at my desk and, and stuff. And dad would be no, no, go sit at the kitchen table. <laughs> like, okay. Cause he wanted to listen to records. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. What do you think you're going to college or something? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you've got a Bart Simpson under underachiever and proud of it T-shirt. You're not going anywhere. That he so, gave us. Yeah, that he gave us. And then I got kicked out of school for it. By the way, too, <laughs> they said it's it's setting a bad example. And I went on a horrible sob story about how we were poor and couldn't afford clothes. And so some guy on my dad's UPS route felt bad for me and gave it to him and said, "Give this to your kids for Christmas." So I was like, "You're gonna kick me out of school for wearing a T-shirt? That's the only thing we I can't afford it." And it was a gift. I was like, "Thank you very." much and you know what they let me wear it the rest of the day <laughs> they actually did nice acting job there <laughs> homer simpson 10 terrorists 8 <laughs> so anyway but what i remember the reason i mentioned the whole thing about the record collection being in my bedroom was because dad would like you know he would leave the album jacket the the cover out like the album he listened to last was always out uh, leaning against the rest of them so I remember seeing, you know, a darkness on the edge of town and, and born to born to run and uh, Nebraska and born in the USA and stuff like that. I remember those albums. So I was very familiar with who Bruce Springsteen was, but never, never, never cared. And I think the biggest hit that he had at this point, MTV wise was dance in the dark um, with Courtney Cox, but that didn't do much for me. Anyway, born to run. The live version gets a ton of airplay on on MTV and just circulates like crazy. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this guy, and I knew nothing about Bruce Springsteen as a youngster. All of a sudden, I'm looking at him, and I'm being like, dude, this guy looks like a fucking bodybuilder. I'm like, oh, my (laughs) God. He's, like, jacked. He's got tank tops and everything. He's got a baseball hat on backwards. He's wearing, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to be this guy. This guy's awesome. And his energy was amazing. And the live version of Born to Run was rocking. It kicked ass. So, kind of like everything we've talked about before, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, hey, Dad, you got, have you heard Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run? He's like, oh yeah, I got it. And he pulls out the album, and um, he's playing it for me. And I'm like, eh, it doesn't quite sound the same. And he's like, well, this is the studio album version. I'm like, sounds kind of tame. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have the energy of the live one, like with the full band and all this stuff. And Dad was kind of like, foo foo, you know, like just kind of like stuff, you know, sulked and walked away. And I was like, eh, all right, I guess it's no big deal. Next day, I come home from school. Sitting on my bed is the five-album LP set of Bruce Springsteen Live 75 to 85, the <laughs> albums. And it's sitting on my bed with, you know, and again, 
I have no basis to set this in stone, but my opinion of that moment was that was his way of giving me the finger saying, fuck you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So well, he showed you there. <laughs> yeah, he showed Pit Burn. But the point is, I listened to the shit out of that, that collection. Oh my God, five albums worth of 10 years worth of material of Bruce Springsteen. I listened to the crap out of it. And then for like dad and I could bond over this stuff because I wasn't named after him. So I didn't have this kind of like this air of like, you know, like resentment or anything. I listened to, I, I talked to dad a lot about Bruce Springsteen and stuff. And he was, you know, pulling out the regular records and telling me about this. And again, maybe it was, you know, I love the fact that he was so well-versed in the Rolling Stone stuff and everything. He would say, you know, we'd be pulling out albums. And he'd say, now he took a hiatus from recording because of a record contract dispute from this period to this period. And then came back with this album. But then he didn't have a producer. So Jimmy Iovine stepped in. About it. He's telling me all this stuff. And by the way, I'm like 10. <laughs> like okay <laughs> whatever but the point is that was like from that moment on i became a diehard bruce springsteen fan and that never would have happened had it not been for me going to dad and saying hey i like this video do you know who this guy is and that charted a whole new course for me I want to say it was, I mean, again, like hearing him a lot, uh, being inundated by Born in the USA and Dancing in the Dark on MTV, just seeing those all the time. Um, I kind of had this perception of Bruce Springsteen that wasn't, like, I, I didn't, I didn't think he was, I didn't think there was a lot of depth there based on those two hits. <laughs> okay, sure. And just, so kind of like passing them off. Um, but then once, again, sort of like the chronology, once Pearl Jam vouched for Neil Young, then I kind of started to take more of an interest in the other stuff that Dad was listening to and kind of that generation. And I think uh, maybe around that time, Dad got the, the Springsteen album, The Ghost of Tom Joad. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. Which starts off with this very quiet, very haunting song, The Ghost of Tom Joad. And there's something about that sound. Just I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I started kind of listening to more of that album and asking Dad about it. And for some reason, I wanting to reject Dancing in the Dark and Born in the USA. I was like, I, I, I want to know more about this guy, but I don't like those songs. So I reject. So I keyed into it. Like in particular, I was like, what are what are the quiet songs that Bruce Springsteen did? Like, what are his acoustic songs? Ah, um, yeah. After you know, after like listening to like the the unplugged and everything. So then I would listen to like Atlantic City and stuff like that. Um, sure. And and listening to the River, which has two of my favorite Springsteen songs, the the quiet ones like Stolen Car and Drive All Stolen Night. So that that was kind of my in, and then eventually I would I would start to listen to more of like the rock songs too. But at first, it was kind of like this rejection of a few of the popular MTV Springsteen hits. I was like, tell I was like, show me something with, with Springsteen that I haven't heard before, and that was sort of my in to listen to more of his you know his quiet acoustic, uh, like more more somber songs, which I really really gravitated to. That's pretty cool, actually. I, I will. I completely two different. You know, we were two. We were like eight, nine, ten years apart in age. But I think we both had the same reaction to Dancing in the Dark. I hated that song. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was ridiculous. But I did like Glory Days, which when that was, you know, that was kind of big and everything. The the other thing I, I do remember this weird exposure, and this is getting way off. I don't want to spin too much out of this, but I don't know how this would have aired at the time. But there was a benefit concert put on by Jackson Brown called No Nukes. And I want to say it had... We were on Delcy Street when this happened. So this had to be between 78 and 84, you know, somewhere around there. 
but Jackson Brown put on a benefit concert and some of the Bruce Springsteen was one of the performers too. And we must have had like maybe it was on like a movie channel. Maybe I don't. Well, I, I mean, don't know I, how. It I mean, Dad, he would take advantage of like when HBO had their free weekends or something like that. Like he would record a. He would like he would hook up the VCRs and record off of those. So oh yeah, he would hook, he would hook up our VCRs to Frank Bergman's house next door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He was, he was, he was good at that. So, yeah, but whatever it was, there was a, so that was kind of like, I, yeah, there was just this weird sort of, you know, and again, like, I remember the last thing I'll say about Springsteen was, you know, then I like once dad, once dad kind of knew that we had, and by the way, for our listeners, if you're still with us right now, this is a father's day episode. So we're giving tribute to our father who couldn't be here with us today because we didn't tell him. But um, anyway, when Tunnel of Love came out, and I loved the song Tunnel of Love, and then Brilliant Disguise was the video, which was a simple acoustic. Mm-hmm. So I remember sitting in there listening to the record with Dad in my bedroom, and Dad telling me all the stuff about, like, listen to this line now. This is the, He's going through divorce when he wrote this whole episode, or this whole album. So this is like, a, like this line means something more and all this stuff. And I'm like going, dude, I'm 14. Like, I don't... <laughs> Like, what does that mean? (laughs) But he was so into it and we had a moment to share something. So it was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And the coolest thing was whenever I ever had like any show showed any signs of like life in a song, I'd be like, oh, I like that. I like that song. Five minutes later, dad had the gift of being able to play it on the guitar. Yeah. That was something that was pretty badass as a kid. I was like, oh, dude. Okay. Like he played, you know, he's like, there's two guitar parts for Tunnel of Love. There's the chorus, which is just strumming, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the, dun, 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 and then there's the high part, you know, which is the, like the other guitar. And he, he's like, the E Street Band has three guitar songs. He's telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, dude, you're like a mechanic that knows about cars. Or you're like one of those weird fanatic sport fans that knows stats from like, oh, this is what he averaged in college. And this is what he did in high school. Like dad's that about music. Something else that we kind of alluded to at the beginning, um, it seemed like the the music that was always prevalent was sort of like fixed and that it was kind of of this generation. The thing was, as dad was as dad was influencing us with some of these artists it did go two ways uh like uh, he was certainly like he didn't his musical taste didn't stop he kept on adopting new music and sometimes it was the stuff that i was like when we started listening to smashing pumpkins and u2 and pearl jam he did too uh and that like progressed into the 2000s when he was listening to like m ward he would make it like an m ward city or ray lamontaine or some of those guys and and like kind of the alterna funk like artists or something like that yeah, ironically, I never quite got him into like NWA. I really thought that I really thought I would turn him around with "fuck the police," but it didn't work. Well, you know, you tried too hard. I think. Yeah, I, I did when I bought him the hat. <laughs> but one of the one of the artists that it sort of did go both ways was because he he got into Radiohead after I got into him. And I got in. I, 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 we talked a little bit about this. I knew some of their hits from the first album and from the Benz, but it was really when OK Computer came out in 1996. Um, I, I loved the single for Paranoid Android and its weird music video. I got that CD, um, played the hell out of it. Uh, Dad actually taught me how to play the song No Surprises on guitar. It was like one of maybe only three <laughs> songs yeah. that I could ever play. Really, really liked that album. But that actually spun off into two things based on that that dad got me into um and one of them was he heard me listening to a song i think it was like let down or something on okay computer and he said this sounds like talking heads and i was like what 
And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, this sounds like some of my Talking head songs. And I was like, oh, okay. And he, I was like, it's a, like, did they do Burning Down the House? That's <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, they did more than that. Trust me. Um, and he played his, one of the Talking Heads mixes, and it has started off with Wildlife. And then I just remembered there was this, you know, double punch of the song Dream Operator and then Naive Melodies. This must be the place. Uh, and those two songs, back-to-back, I was like, this is awesome. I love these two songs. And you're right, they do kind of remind me of Radiohead and, and this particular song. And that, I mean, that got me into Talking Heads and uh, watching uh, the the Stop Making Sense video with David Byrne and his big-ass suit. <laughs> yeah. But but the other artist was around that time because OK Computer was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys that year. And it lost to Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan, which was Bob Dylan's first new album after a while. And mm. I was pissed because I was <laughs> champing. OK, I was like, this Radiohead, this is my band. I didn't find them because of Neil or because of Dad. I discovered that these are my guys. Screw Bob Dylan. They just gave it to him because it's like, you know, it's an award show. and It's like a lifetime achievement award. Fuck that guy. I hate this. <laughs> and, Dad, and Dad was like, have you heard the album? I was like, no, of course not. I don't listen to Bob Dylan. Of course not. Of course not. Most of my opinions about things I hate are from things I've never experienced in my life. (laughs) There are are foods I've never tried before that I'm like, oh my god, I hate that. (laughs) So... Cut to Dad actually has me, like, sits me down and has me listen to the album Time Out of Mind, the Bob Dylan album. Okay. And I love it. (laughs) Now now it's probably, it's it's definitely among my, if not my very favorite Bob Dylan album. It was was one of the two albums produced by Daniel Lanois, who also did a bunch of U2 stuff, and has, like, this very distinctive sound when he works with Bob Dylan, because he also did the album Oh Mercy, which is another one that I love. But, you know, Time Out of Mind starts off with this crazy song called Lovesick that just doesn't sound like anything. It's it's weird. Um, and then just like half of the songs on this album are just these like kind of like slow haunting melodies that it just it, so I was like oh, okay. I was like I, damn it. I don't want to admit that I really really like this and that maybe it's a better album than OK Computer. I don't I, I refuse to admit that but this is really really good and I mean that was that was the my gateway drug into liking Bob Dylan and and I started listening to more of his stuff and going back through his catalog. So yeah, just through listening to Radiohead uh, and, and Dad kind of hearing that and and recognizing these things, he backdoor exposed me to both the Talking Heads and Bob Dylan that way, who had, I had heard but wouldn't have given another look if he hadn't said you sure. like this, you'll yeah. like this too. Yeah, Dad. Wow. Okay, first of all, there's two different subjects that I want to approach right now. The first is that Dad backdoor exposed me to a lot of things I don't think is appropriate for this podcast because (laughs) (laughs) that's that's gonna paint him in a negative (laughs) boy I was young and I needed the money but I will say I I so love that you approach the subject from this perspective that he was very very he was good at adopting like hey okay you're interested in that hey you might be interested in this too and these type of things he was really really good at that type of stuff and i think i kind of had a similar similar exposure to all right like I'll, i'll throw it out there like my i mean i knew who bob dylan was i knew bob dylan was famous but never listened to him and never really cared much and i don't remember bob dylan being a I know dad had the records, but he wasn't played regularly in our house. And then in 1980 something, whatever year REM had the end of the world as we know it, 
whenever whatever year that came out and that was and i know this because that was the first year whatever it was like 87 88 something like that i got my first dvd or a cd player and document by rem was the first cd that i actually got believe it or not really yeah and well i didn't buy it somebody gave it to me with the it was like it was like one of those things when you get a nintendo game system and somebody gives you a nintendo <laughs> game too it was, I was like i was going to say i was so, like you've never bought an rem cd in your life no i never no no not at all i was like i was like what the fuck like, is this i liked rem you got you didn't i was like yeah, yeah. cuz this was like even before losing your religion and stuff this yeah. is when i was like who <laughs> but I do remember. So the song, this is the end of the world that comes, which is like at that point, my only, I was like, Hey, this song reminds me of we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. And I remember dad actually being like, no, you know, it's actually more like a Bob Dylan song. And I was like, which one? And all right, you're going to have to pause. Cause I don't remember the name of it. Subterranean homesick. Blues. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Okay. And all of a sudden, we go into the we go into my bedroom, and Dad pulls out the record of whatever album "Subterranean Homesick Blues" came from, and he started playing it for me. And I'm like listening, going, "Oh my god, it's, yeah, oh my, this is like speed metal through folk <laughs> lyrics." And and he was like, "Yeah, that's 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 what they're doing." You know, it's I'm like going, "It's spoken word poetry accelerated at a certain point." He goes, "Bob Dylan is a lyricist," and then that night. I, I totally remember this conversation. He was like, yeah, Bob Dylan was really, he was good because he would write five verses for a song with no chorus. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then he would play like, I don't know, all along the watchtower or something like that. Like some of the, some of these songs where there was no chorus, it was just, it, there would be a verse break, verse break, verse break. And he kept doing it. And all of a sudden, and then dad reminded me, he goes, by the way, you know who Bob Dylan is. You like him. And I was like, I do? How? And he goes, <laughs> he had a song called Highway 61 from Where the Buffalo Roam. And <laughs> I was like, that's Bob Dylan? He played it for me. I'm like, I love this guy. <laughs> and that was that was my exposure to Bob Dylan through that. <laughs> Let me tell you about a place Somewhere up a New York way Where the people are so gay Twisting the night away Alright, we, gosh, we've, we've talked so many about these And I think we've got to get to We might have to do a, a few little speed rounds towards the end um, <laughs> But there were, there were a few others that I wanted to mention Um and part of this was just it's on my mind because of seeing that Eddie Murphy Murray Murray skit now I'm thinking oh my god I'm that is about, so good I'm thinking about Barry Gordy's cat but also yes yes um, I know where you're going dad got us into into Motown too like oh he, my like, god yes I mean we've been talking about the sort of singer songwriter you know folk rock you know from, from that sound what would be but now like he also had this collection of these Motown tapes in this in the shelf and I think I don't know where he got it. I think he like maybe like sent away or ordered one of those big ass collections of like Motown's like greatest hits where you get like 20 albums or yeah, 20, 20 CDs. Or something like that. It was like a, probably an infomercial. Yeah, and he like pared it down, but he had a bunch of these. And I, we, we, these, these were like the hits that like he would just play these. And I knew every one of these songs, every one of these artists, and it was just rattling off. It was Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye, The Supremes, The Temptations, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, Al Green. Everybody, everybody, and I just, I like, 
Everett Lee would be like once a year, he would just be in the mood for something like this. It would come out of nowhere, and he would break up the the you know rock folk experiment, and we just get these Motown hits. And I'm like, yeah, I love this stuff. And this, this is like I, I've kind of mentioned it before. This is one of my favorite genres of popular music. Me too. Is that Motown sound? It's it's soul, but it's got like this like little up tempo like pop like song structure um, with the, this little funky sound. And I just I, I it always makes me feel good. And and you know Sam Cooke, he's done some of my favorite songs. So yeah, I just I, I wanted to hit that it, you know it wasn't just the same singer songwriter aesthetic. You know he had this this Motown exposure too. Yeah, he was he was definitely good at that. There was a period of time in high school where just for being a rebel, for being a rebel's sake, like I I, I kind of shunned like popular music for a little while. By by the way, I was even though I grew up in the '80s, I was never a fan of the '80s. I didn't like the music that was out in the '80s, so I was kind of waiting for the '90s to happen. But <laughs> so the, so I went through this period where I was way into. The there was a an oldies radio station out of Chicago that we picked up in DeKalb, and it was Magic 104.3. And I remember I got Corey and Jones and Sweat and the whole my my unit into into this, and Dick Biondi was the DJ. And it was like a lot of it was kind of frat rock, like a lot of the stuff that they played was like stuff from Animal House, yeah, you know, yeah. that type that type of stuff, like Louie Louie and stuff. But they dedicated a couple hours to R and B and soul and Motown and stuff, and that was where I first kind. Of like I was like oh Jackson Five before Michael broke out and and some of the stuff and the Ronettes and and all these things I liked the sound I liked the sound there was something about it that was cool and I just yeah and all of a sudden next thing I know Dad's like whipping out these like this collection of stuff that he's got all these things I'm like and I'm like going you don't listen to this stuff like these are not songs that I ever heard you play out loud in our household. But he knew everything about him, knew them all and everything. And I remember he was like, I really want you to get into Marvin Gaye. I really think you would like him. And I'm like, why? He goes, because he got murdered by his father. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I will take that into account. <laughs> oh, man. You know, you know what? That, that must have been something because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure on my wedding night, he, he, he reminded me that Sam Cooke's dying words were, lady, you shot me. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. No, I think there's something. There's something really to it. Dad, do you remember me the first time you played no, me? He's Marvin? not. He's not. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. But yeah, he was. I he was instrumental in exposing me to music that I never in a million years thought a hippie '70s folk you know, Woodstock era guy would be into. I mm-hmm. never, never, ever thought he would. And boy, was he well-versed on everything Motown. Yeah. Man, he knew who Barry, he knew Barry Gordy's cat's name. <laughs> <I'm-> <laughs> it, had, it had something to do with music. It had something to do with soul. It had something to do with R&B. It had something to do with respect. It had something to do with love. All of these elements combined into the death of Barry Gordy's cat. I did not kill Barry Gordy's cat. <laughs> I had Barry Gordy's cat killed, and Barry Gordy knows why I had his cat killed. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Where do we go from there? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a couple. Of, I'm gonna, I'll speed around a few that aren't going to take as much time. But there were a handful of, of albums that I remember being big that were hanging out um, that I got into, like uh, Blondie. Mm-hmm. Dad had a couple of records by Blondie, and I remember like listening to, you know, a Heart of Glass was circulating 
probably right around the birth of MTV. I mean, the song came out in the 70s, but it was like 81 MTV debuted in Heart of Glass was a video and every blondie was all over the place. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, I remember being on Delcy Drive in our old place and the living room had, you know, the couch and, and the stereo setup that dad had in the record collection underneath it. All of a sudden he whips out four blondie albums. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, which album is that off of? And it was like, hit me with your best shot. Or no, that's Pat Benatar. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, call me. Yeah. Call me. You know, he had that. He had parallel lines. He had all these other things. And I'm just going like, oh, my God, dude, this guy's got everything. And I remember the Pretenders. And then I remember, like, there was, a it, like, again, early 80s, um, the song Too Much Time on My Hands by Styx came oh, yeah. out. And I was, I was like, I love that song. Something about it just hooked me because that was a year. That was the first year that I graduated from being a kid getting toys for Christmas to saying I want music. Hmm. And I remember that particular Christmas, I got three albums. I got Journey, uh, Escape. I got The Sticks, Paradise Theater. And I got Jay Giles Band, whatever album had Freeze Frame and Centerfold. Yeah. Um, that was that was like big news. I, I, I was suddenly an adult. Yeah, and I was like I was like eight, but I remember you know sticks. Like I loved that song, and of course, sure enough, you know we're watching MTV, and I'm showing Dad. Oh, I love this song. Blah blah blah. My name. And Dad looks at me. He's like, you know, that's not the singer. I go what? <laughs> like I was, so Dad's dropping street knowledge on me. Like he's like he's like yeah, that's the guitar player. He's the lead guitar player, but he's not usually the singer. You know, the usual singer is the, the the piano player, Dennis DeYoung, and he goes out of this whole thing. He's like, yeah, I saw them live a couple, you know, like years ago when they were first starting out at Otto's Indie Kelp. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, now Otto's, as you know, unfortunately it's closed. It's time has passed. It was a dive bar, ghetto, basement-looking place where rock bands came when they toured and played niu that's where they played the only good venue to see a live band and people saw everybody there i mean my 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 old roommate and friend chris said he saw snoop dogg there mm-hmm. and, and i'm like what and, and like robbie krieger from the doors and yep, stuff like yep. that but but dad has seen a number of bands that played indie kelp in our hometown a bar that you could walk to from our house at otto's Cheap Trick played there because they were from Rockford. They were like a neighboring, yep. uh, yeah, neighboring they were an hour, yeah. and Sticks. And I remember, but at this time, I remember Sticks Paradise Theater, and I was listening to this band. And then Dad went on this whole tangent telling me about like this is like art music. This is like they're making concept albums like a Broadway theater production. And again, I'm going, I'm eight. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> like what and all this stuff. So I just went along with it. But this is, you know, I just felt like name dropping a couple of these bands, you know, and I remember, and just to show his diversity in musicality and stuff, you know, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, you know, I remember when that came out, because that was kind of new wave, like you mentioned Talking Heads. I remember Elvis Costello and the Attractions, and I'm like going, Elvis? Oh my God, I know who Elvis is. (laughs) He's like, no, wrong guy. Different Elvis. (laughs) Yeah, different Elvis, different Elvis. This is like, this is like the run to the litter Elvis. (laughs) And so I watched the video. He showed me a video for like, what's so funny about peace, love and understanding, which is a great song, by the way. And it sounds really good. I love to play that song acoustically, just solo. Yeah. But seeing the video and seeing this guy like with a slick back hair and he's looking like a rockabilly 50s hipster and he's got a skinny tie and a jacket and stuff. 
and he's singing with this really deep voice. And I'm like, why is he singing angry? <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like, why does he look so mad? I'm like, this is like, hey, whatever. Some of these bands, again, these were things that I remember. I remember Dad pulling out cars. You know, like some of this. It's just when you had a question about music. When I discovered something new on MTV, I liked. I would go to Dad, and I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, he had it already. What's so funny about this love and Some of the more modern songs that I remember him getting into within... Songs or bands? Uh, bands. They're artists, actually singers, really. Um, he kind of got into a few female country singers, um, like mm. Amy Lou uh-huh. Harris a lot, uh, and this other one, Lucinda Williams. And I was never a big country fan i mean you you're more you you know more about the genre than i do um but those two in particular i i really like the the i don't know the timbre of their voices or something like that uh and i'm assuming that dad did too uh in particular lucinda williams she had one album that dad played a lot and i think i mean i, I think it was a popular kind of breakout album called car wheels on the gravel road <laughs> which just had like this this fusion of blues country rock and folk and everything um and just the caliber of her voice but also just like these particularly really personal country type of songs but they didn't sound necessarily like country I mean, they're, they're written sure. they have the voice they have the the attitude of the country genre but you know as sonically they, they were a little bit different they were a little bit more blues folk rock sound um yeah. and I, just, I really really liked it and dad you know was playing that and i was like i was like this isn't my type of music but damn if i don't think this is really really good and getting into other things, like, I mean, I remember hearing when uh, Aerosmith started coming back, you know, like, <laughs> right. in, in the 90s, and I would listen to those songs. Dad got me Aerosmith's greatest hits. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, Tom Petty. I mean, I knew that we were going to have to circle back and talk about Tom Petty. Uh, for, for me, at least, where it really started. And I, again, I, I knew we, he played the music. We had um, Free Fallen, uh, Don't Come Around Here No More. I knew those because I knew those videos. Don't come around here no more. Always scared the hell out of me. It was like this trippy, <laughs> trippy Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter thing. Yeah, and just a really. Yeah, I go back because I remember the video for Refugee. <laughs> I yeah. remember that video with him in a warehouse just walking through it. But yeah, but like it was into the great wide open when that album came out, which we liked because oh, the video God, for that yeah. song had Johnny Depp in it, and yep. it was this like really cool thing. And we so we were so listening. cool. And and the first song on the album was Learning to Fly, which I think got co-opted by the Bulls for one of their championship <laughs> right. runs or something. Like I think I saw that like on a commercial. No, it was in one of the championship videos on VHS. We had it. You're right. Oh, it was the okay. first one. Yeah, was... It was the very first one. Yeah, yeah. The 91. Yeah. So yeah, just like listening to that album a whole lot, you know, and becoming more of a fan, and then like just watching the video for Mary Jane's Last Dance when that was on MTV. I think that was enough. Where Dad was like, "Okay, you're ready for this," and he got me Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' Greatest Hits, and he gave me that one. I started going through that, and I was like, "Oh man, I re- I remember this song. I remember Refugee. I remember this song." I going through all these he's like yeah okay so he'd give me more of the other the other albums that he had and everything so yeah i i you know one one of the things that we've talked a lot about is like there are certain obvious picks that i think most kids listening to this will probably say like oh yeah my dad turned me on to this you know we could go off on tangents about billy joel and elton john and stuff and of course we were all exposed to that stuff because that's who our you know our parents generation had that music they knew it um one of the things i want to go back to was 
I think was one of the more um, surprising influences of my dad that I remember way back, maybe even in the era before you were born, but definitely like in your early childhood, was The Clash. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about The Clash because I remember uh, Train in Vain when that was became a popular radio hit. And I don't know why, because I don't even know if it was a single. I don't think there was ever a video for it, but it was a it was like was it a secret track on London Calling or something? Maybe it was like maybe it was a, it, the last track on the album or something. But I remember that was like because the Clash is like British punk, you know. That was like early '80s, like post Ramones and stuff like that. But it was British. It was like it was politicized music. It was angry. It was aggressive. It was different than anything else I'd ever listened to. And I remember when I think because I think my first exposure then was Rock the Casbah, which got a lot of play on MTV. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then should I stay or sh- should I stay or should I go? And this is like suddenly like I'm a, I'm an early teenager and I'm listening to this band and this British punk and they're like wearing fatigues and camouflage and everything is politicized and they're like supporting they got an album called Sandinista and all this all this stuff and I remember thinking finally I've got an album I can get into I'm gonna go play this this is my re- this is my way to rebel against my dad who thinks he knows everything about music. He thinks he's the shit when it comes to like, oh, I can tell you everything about everybody. I'm like, I'm going to bring home this British punk group that's basically talking about F your political system and blah, 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 and stand up and rebel against your rights. This is the Ramones of my generation. And so I start playing the song Train in Vain, which is my, my favorite class song. And dad's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from London Calling. He's like, you know what you should listen to? And we go into the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and he pulls out the three previous Clash albums. <laughs> I'm like, going, are you serious? Come on, dude. Really? Like, he's, I mean, he's got, in the Clash release, double album after double album and then a triple album and all this. He's got all this stuff. He's like, you know, this is when they really started to turn to a pop. And then this is the album when they dropped their manager. <laughs> and, all this, and I'm just looking at this going, I hate you. <laughs> I can't rebel against a guy that knows everything there is about music. It was just, like, ridiculous. Oh, man. Um, of course, there are the the other big ones from that generation that we haven't really talked about. But I mean, he he had all the Beatles albums. He had all of the Rolling Stones albums. I, um, I don't know about you. I I think he favored the Rolling Stones, and maybe that's why I've always favored the Rolling Stones. Over the two. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. I think so. I think so. Well, here's the thing about Dad. I think. Dad's personal influences, and this is just my opinion. Again, it's not something we discussed or... or, or and he's not here to speak for this. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, my God, he's not. Okay. Um, I think Dad leaned more heavily. If there were two competing bands, which is, you know, kind of... It's stupid at this day and age to say, like, who is better, the Beatles or the Stones? I think that's ridiculous. But I think Dad had a tendency to lean more towards the guitar playing mm-hmm. because he was a guitarist. So I think that's why, I mean, the, the Rolling Stones guitar playing is far superior than the Beatles. So that makes sense. I think I, think I like the Stones more, too. 
um, and other others that we just kind of thought of uh, uh, that were always in heavy rotation that I just remember. The Eagles, uh, Credence, yeah. CCR, um, yeah. Linda Ronstadt. Um, and, and then I think the, the big one that we haven't mentioned yet, probably Fleetwood Mac. I think, yeah, I would say Fleetwood Mac. And again, based on what I just said, I think it's because of the guitar playing. <laughs> like Fleetwood Mac is one of those bands. First of all, okay, we should reference that this was a, this was a, an interesting time in music because you had bands like Fleetwood Mac, you had bands like the Eagles, you had bands like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, where any one of the people in the band could have sang a song. Like it was like a, it was an interesting time where band was more equal, you know, to be a part of a band. But the one thing I, my earliest memories of Fleetwood Mac were just like, I don't know who the singer is. I mean, the girl playing piano was singing one song and then the guitar player is singing a song. And then the girl playing the tambourine, Stevie Nicks is singing a song and blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like with the Eagles and stuff in Genesis. And we saw some of these things where I'm like, I don't know who the hell the singer is. But with Fleetwood Mac, the one thing that I remember I, as much because I kind of at this era, like when, when I remember Fleetwood Mac always being around, but I always kind of felt this fell into the soft rock category, like the like at a time when I was like a rebellious youth. You know, this was more like Cat Stevens and Moody Blues and so like there were there were bands that I was just like, no, dude, this is too soft for me. Fleetwood Mac kind of fell into that category. I didn't realize how much pop sensibility they had. And I didn't certainly didn't realize how long they'd been a band before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham came. But I remember Dad loved Lindsey Buckingham. That was really key because Dad had solo albums by Lindsey Buckingham. So, you know, there was a time, you know, I'd heard Fleetwood Mac. I was like, yeah, they're around. You know, I love, I, you know, I, I knew their stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, I know who Fleetwood Mac is. But I just didn't want to like them. And then... National Lampoon's Vacation comes out, and the theme song, <laughs> Holiday <They> Road, wrote. <laughs> was written by Lindsey Buckingham. And I'm listening to the song, and I'm like, "Going, Dad, who? Is, I know this song. Who is that?" He goes, "Oh, it's that's the guy from Fleetwood Mac." It, and and of course, me being a sponge for stuff that I didn't even want to be a sponge for, I'm like, "Oh wait, Lindsey Buckingham?" He's like, "Oh yeah, it sounds like it sounds kind of like some of their stuff off Rumors." And I'm going. Okay, I, I don't know what that means, and because it's 1981, so you were you were like not even born yet, and and because this was summer 81, and I'm like I you know I'm like eight, and so he all of a sudden goes out. He's like, come on, go into the bedroom, <laughs> pull out the record collection, play, lay out all the uh, Fleetwood Mac albums on the floor like he's dealing cards again. All of a sudden he plays, you know, and it was just I don't remember what order they all came out and everything, but. That was kind of like the era that I, that I then got exposed to, uh, you know, Don't Stop and and some of the other stuff off. Actually, at this point, I think I realized what a great album Rumors. Rumors should get its own podcast. That was one of those, like, perfect albums. Oh, my God, was that good. But there were certain songs that the guitar playing just blew me away. And I'm like, how many guitarists do they have in the band? And he's going, no, just it's just Lindsay. He's just he has a way of finger picking that others don't. Like there were songs like Never Going Back Again and then um, Big Love, which yeah. came later. You know, there were songs that I'm like, oh, my God, there's got to be three people playing guitar for this song. So I think Dad kind of gravitated towards the guitar playing aspects of some of these bands. And that's why he liked them. Now. I, I don't know if Dad has ever been able to play as good as some of these finger-picking guitarists, like a, like the Travis method that Neil, that Lindsey Buckingham does. I don't know, but in a weird way, in the whole the sole purpose of us doing this podcast is because I've adopted those philosophies and those styles without even knowing it. 
I didn't even intend on that. Like, I've never taken guitar lessons. I don't know how to, you know, I just picked it up and did what dad taught me to do. He gave me a chord book and said, learn these. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now when I look back, I'm like, I love Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> you know, I love Lindsey Buckingham. I wish I could play the guitar like some of these. I love Bruce Springsteen. Like, I'm doing, because we're currently in the state of the quarantine and everything, I've been banging out a bunch of cover songs because I've been challenged by this subgroup on Facebook, which I'm not going to promote. It's not about that. But I did a Fleetwood Mac song. I did a Bruce Springsteen song, which you haven't heard yet. You'll actually hear by the time this podcast airs, you'll have heard the Bruce Springsteen song I'm doing. I've done tom petty before i've played tom petty live i've played sticks live i played like all these when i did a like it's just amazing how much influence our dad's musical tastes have shaped on us the yeah the last thing that i'll add to the the fleetwood mac selection was this is the one time where dad's tape collection backfired (laughs) backfired and, and pissed me off um because I don't remember what the thing is, but we were talking. We were talking about Fleetwood Mac, or we were listening to it with JT, my buddy JT. Uh, this would have been high school or something like that. I don't remember. What, I, I don't. I don't remember what the context is. I just remember was talking about the band, and maybe Dad was there with us, and JT could not accept the fact that the band had a man named Lindsey Buckingham <laughs> and and a girl named Stevie Nicks. He could believe one or the other, but for one band to have two or two like singers or whatever with sort of gender swapped names or whatever. He's like, come on, dude. He's like, he's like, that. Nah, I, no, no way. I was like, dude, let's. I was like, let's listen. So like, we went. I was like, Dad, like, where the like the liner notes or whatever. We couldn't dig out the records or something. I don't know if they were buried in the basement. All he had was the tapes, and the tapes didn't have any of the information on it. So I was like, motherfucker. So I actually we went. I took JT to Dante this, and I bought him two Fleetwood Mac albums. I bought him like Rumors, and I think Fleetwood Mac, just so that he could see the the art listed in that because he wouldn't believe it if it was just one that would be a misprint so i had to get oh my God. Two, two cds to show him lindsey buckingham guitarist the guy with the beard <laughs> stevie nicks the hot one with a tambourine <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome! You know that I did. I don't want to segue, but I can understand. I, I just want to point out the fact that if JT ever listened to this, I can sympathize with him because when I went to NIU to play football during spring practices off off season, there were three brothers, three Irish brothers that were on the football team, all linemen, huge six five and up, three hundred pound linemen. They're all brothers that came from the same Irish family, but all three had girls' names. Hmm. One one boy's name was Stacy, one's name was Kelly, and I can't remember the third one, but I remember it was a girl's name. And that blew my mind such to the point that I quit the football team and moved away. <laughs> <laughs> so, JT, I feel you. That was not the story that you presented to mom and dad. <laughs> okay. That's why I moved out of Cal- that's why I moved to California. <laughs> Another thing, I actually, this is really important because one of the, dare I say, one of the single most powerful and important influences of our life was Prince as an artist. I had maybe heard Little Red Corvette, and we've done a whole Prince podcast before of, of 
you know, are in how Prince influences and stuff. But I think it all kind of starts with little the video for Little Red Corvette making an impact. But I want to point this out because we've mentioned a couple times how Dad was such an important influence going forward, like forward thinking of these things. Purple Rain, the movie had not come out yet when the album was released. And that's important to know because Dad brought home this album and he put it in front of me. So I sat in front of the phonograph and the equalizer and the amplifier and played the Purple Rain soundtrack before the movie had come out and kind of fell in love with Prince at that moment. Like, I'd listened to 1999. I knew who he was. I had friends that liked Prince. But I kind of fell in love with Prince from that moment, sitting there in our living room by myself, listening to Prince, this album, Purple Rain. Then, fast forward to when the movie was released, and me and a couple of my friends getting tickets to another movie because Purple Rain was rated R. So we got tickets to another movie to go see Purple Rain, and we got caught, and somebody escorted us out at Black Hawk Cinema on NIU's campus, and they called our mom. And it's so funny because our mom was like, they did what? And the guy was like, they bought tickets to a rated R movie, and blah, 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 blah. And my mom was like, put Neil on the phone. And I was like, Mom, it's a music movie. It's about an artist dad likes, Prince. And my mom was like, all right, they're fine. They're okay. And so so the guy let us see the movie. She had no idea who the hell Prince was, but she allowed it. And Prince became a household name for us, for you and I. I don't even think I, like, I mean, as much as I give dad credit for bringing home that soundtrack, I don't think he ever liked Prince as much as me did. I think he respected him, but didn't like him as much as we did. But man, I'll never forget that day. And you can't, this is the one thing I, 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 I feel bad that you can't share with me. But I remember that moment in the living room on 337 Delcy Drive when dad brings home the Prince LP for Purple Rain and drops it in front of me and says, is this the guy you've been listening to? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he dresses like a girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, it's the 80s. And that was it. All right. Um, believe us, listeners, when we say we're really just scratching the surface. I mean, there's. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like the, these are uh, more of the more influential, like the the artists that we still listen to today that we've kind of gotten into because of how much exposure there was. But it was just, it was just. Uh, I mean, it was like a record store. <laughs> his his, yeah, his music yeah. room, his music collection, and and also a history of all of this music. Like like we didn't like he ro- he read those Rolling Stone magazines, so we didn't have to. So if we had a question, he had the answer there. Yeah, yeah, and I I want to you know at the since we're coming to the end of this episode, which you know is a tribute to Father's Day and stuff. I want I want to you know I would be remiss, we joke a lot about these stories and a lot of them are fun memory you know trips down memory lane for the two of us mm-hmm. but probably don't have a whole lot of relevance to the people listening the one thing I do want to point out though is the fact that I find it fascinating that in my adult life whether we appreciate it or not as a kid going through it you know our dad taught you Ryan to read and and appreciate like lyrics and and what was you know certain things you became a writer your influence is somehow identifiable you know it, it goes back to dad you know there's i picked up a guitar for the first time because of dad and started playing and now i write and record music and and it's both guitar and lyrics so 
it's 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 really weird that like for all those kids out there that kind of identify with me and say oh yeah i hated my dad when i was growing up blah 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 whatever it's really interesting how much of an influence they play and now years years later my dad's you know our dad ryan is our biggest supporter you know a lot of times i i catch myself sometimes editing my own material whether it's lyrics chords melodies songs whether it's a short story or a poem or something you know i go to dad i i know that you do the same thing but i go to dad and i'm like hey what do you think of this you know what do you blah 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 give me your notes and i remember the first time i produced a a a book you know the book of my short stories that i released and everything i sent two copies out to you and to dad and i said tell me what you think i'm gonna self-publish this and then put this out i remember you sent me a copy back that was blood red in ink <laughs> because of how many comments you had on every, there was not a single page that didn't have a red mark on it somewhere. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, when I get dad's back, he'll be a lot more appreciative. He'll be like, Hey, this is blah, blah, blah. I got it back. It looked identical to yours. <laughs> it was the exact, I was like, did you guys talk? Did you guys somehow co- coordinate your responses? Oh my God, dude, he ripped everything I had to say to shreds, but it made me better. It made me work harder, and then I eventually put out a book. That's you know, it's you know, I, I, that, and that's kind of you know, I, at the risk of getting too far away from the music stuff that we're talking about, our dad has influenced us so much in our artistic ventures. And by the way, I think it's funny that I think if people were to look at our family as a whole, they'd say your dad's not really the artist type. He's the blue collar, bread and butter. I'm going to make a paycheck. I'm going to work nine to five. I'm going to come home and provide for the family type. But the artistic gifts we got were from our dad. And I, you know, I, 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 if he ever listens to this podcast someday, because I'm not going to say this to his face, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> if he ever listens to it, thank you, dad, for your influences of music and art and, and song and lyric and melody and all the things that come with being a, a music fan and, and not settling. So I give him credit for that. Now that I've lost everything to you You say you want to start something new And it's breaking my heart you're leaving Maybe I'm grieving I'm going to sort of wrap this one up by talking a little bit more uh, about the legacy and what I hope he's he's instilled in us is the, the appreciation of music. Yes. On a, a sort of foundational, emotional, physiological way. Um, even if we never talked about music, even if I never studied music, even if I, you know, didn't try to play the guitar for like two years and give it up. Um, <laughs> By the way, I still love your guitar, though. It's my favorite guitar that we have. Well, you certainly spent more time with it than I did. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, but we we graffitied the shit out of that guitar. I carried it around for like one semester as a prop, just as like a conversation starter. It's a good um, looking guitar. If people ask me to play, I'd, I'd say I had tinnitus or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but just the 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 appreciation on this level. Um, what I am hoping to impart to to my kid, and and as Reese is growing older and seeing him, he's starting to respond to music now. 
he's starting to kind of like almost dance. He remembers oh, the song. I mean, and I mean, we we watched like a bunch of Disney movies, so he knows some of the songs from Frozen and Moana and some of these new mm-hmm. songs and everything like that. He gets those. But there's also like you know pop songs and everything like that that he'll get into. Um, I like I was giving him a bath or something, and I played the song "The Warrior" by Pat Benatar or something like that. Yes. And he's just in the bathtub, kind of like shaking his hips and his shoulders and everything. Like no, he was likes. Little, little, wasn't uh, that Patty Smith? Yes, it was. Yes, so, yeah, you're right. It was. Uh, it was scandal with Patty Smith. Yes, uh, yes. Not, yeah. not Pat Benatar. I keep getting those confused. But yeah, it was. So uh, he and he was getting into it, and he was he was living. And I mean, just uh, that's something I do to him every night as I sing a song, and I can't really sing, but I, I it's it's part of our routine. And and I don't necessarily sing the lullabies and, and the, the song that you should sing. I'm singing, you know, Tom Waits songs. I'm singing. <laughs> I'm singing. Bring it on home to me by Sam Cooke. I'm I'm singing these. Oh. Other Oh you know, man, good that's beautiful. And and hallelujah, just because it's like seven or eight verses, and and it a, eventually puts them to sleep. So. Yeah, let me tell you one of one of my favorite memories, and I've 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 done I've got a lot of really really good memories in my life, but in a lot of bad ones too. But one of my favorite memories of all time is when you and I managed to somehow surprise our dad for his 60th birthday. And we coordinated with our mom to fly home and stay in a hotel room the night before his party and not let anybody see us or do anything. And then he had a birthday party at a bar that he's familiar with and everybody knew it and everything. And you and I had done some things. You wrote a poem. I did a music. I did a rap video and all this other stuff. But the key moment, well, first of all, aside from the moment where we popped out, like from the background at this part where he was like completely didn't expect us. Like the fact that we managed to fool him blows my mind. Cause dad's a pretty observing guy. He doesn't like nothing gets by him. <laughs> so the fact that he didn't see it coming was pretty amazing. But the fact that we chose and did a Neil Young song, his greatest influence in life, the song that I'm na- the the guy that I'm named after and the guy that in the video you claim you were named after, which is, comic gold by the way that was really funny but you and i together doing a tribute on his 60th birthday with an artist that he likes and playing it and kicking ass and doing that's one of my the greatest memories i have i mean i thank god that somehow i absorbed musicianship from from our dad uh you know lyrical poetry from our dad inspiration from our dad like like all this stuff it it stems from him somehow you and i you know we wouldn't be talking we our soul you know aside your personal ventures aside which are you know you do a lot of comic book stuff like that we have a whole sect of fire and water dedicated to music and it's because of our influences from our father and i i think uh, I'm just thinking out loud. Now, I, I think part of it is from Dad's father too. Yeah, who, who, yeah, he was a singer. Yeah, he yeah. was a singer and a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> those, those were the two things that Grandpa Christie he he knew how to do. And so I I I know I didn't absorb the singing gift from him. So I can only hope that my boxing skills matches. <laughs> <sighs> He was black Irish, Irish, too. You know, it all goes back to Van Morrison. <laughs> yeah. You know, seriously, yeah. if you're Irish, you can drink and do anything. I could I could go outside during this quarantine and wear purple bell bottoms and just kick the air. And people are <laughs> going to be like, well, he's Irish. <laughs> it works. All right. Uh, listeners, I, I think um, 
we've done enough for this, but uh, in the spirit of the holiday and, and the community, if you've got stories that you would like to share on our comments section, please do. Uh, is there music that you got or that you found because of your father's or your mother's, any sort of parental figure um, that was sort of passed down that, that means something to you? Maybe a first concert, a first album, uh, some kind of music that you've bonded over, something like that. Or with your kids, have you have you kind of had this sort of same type of experiment, uh, sort of the same type of experience of passing on music that you love uh, to your kids too? Uh, let us know about that because um, we would certainly love to hear it, and we'll try to respond in the comments section. Absolutely. Uh, until then, yeah, Neil, as always, thank you very much, and Dad. You're not here. Remember, he's he's not on. Damn this script! I gotta get away from it. So. All right. Hey, hey, Ryan Neil, thank you so much. Hey, I wanna live. I wanna kill. I've been a miner for a heart of gold. It's these expressions I never give. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Fire and Water Records can also be found on Spotify. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like the show, but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you download podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for Fire and Water Records. Every review helps push this podcast out to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended. As always, thanks for listening. I've been to Hollywood I've been to Redwood I crossed the ocean 